Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Here in the United States, we are alarmed by the new calls to adopt socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination and control. We are born free and we will stay free. That might be my favorite portion of any... Oh, where's the where's this super applause line? My favorite line of the speech. Right. That might be my favorite portion of any State of the Union address I've ever watched in was, my adult life. All right, there you go. Here you go. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. Yeah! Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, couldn't love it more, and he's probably wrong, but <laughs> it will perhaps postpone the inevitable slide into the, uh, the uh, answering the siren song of socialism and the inevitable rocks. I wonder how much that contributed to the overwhelmingly positive poll numbers on the speech that are out today. Well, let's consider that and other questions about the speech in the State of the Union with Lonnie Chen, David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution. Lonnie is also the Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. Lonnie, welcome, sir. How are you? Hey, guys. Good morning. Doing well. That was that was the best part of the speech, by the way, without question. It, it, it was fantastic. You know, I fear that it Not is... Not everybody stood up? 
Uh, yeah. Well, Bernie sat there red-faced and angry. but uh, Red-faced and socialist. So, uh, overall uh, impressions, Lonnie? Well, yeah. I, I, first of all, I thought that that was a strong part of the speech because it represented a contrast that I think most Americans... Uh, I, I, let's put it this way. Most Americans over a certain age would completely agree with the sentiment the president expressed there regarding socialism. But but, but aside from that, I thought on, on policy grounds, it's actually a pretty good speech. I think he put in there a lot of things that people would generally agree with, the need to have better border security, the need to have more transparency in health care, the need to have better infrastructure. I mean, these are things that, generally speaking, people would find uh, to, to be important priorities. So overall, I thought it was actually a, a, a pretty strong speech. I'm not surprised that the reactions were pretty positive. Not to be too sarcastic, but uh, people also approved of our moon landing and winning World War II. So what I mean, are you against right. those things? He's throwing some pretty easy to applaud for things and nobody's going to disagree with. Hey, let me uh, assert something, Lonnie, then you take it from there. I thought it was uh, almost Clintonian in its triangulating, as it, which is a fancy way to express. He said a bunch of stuff that Democrats like had to be happy about and applaud for. And I'm looking at the CBS News poll. Uh, 56% thought the speech would help unite the country. Only 8% thought that the divisive, orange-faced president would divide the country with that speech. Not even 10% thought it was a divisive speech. That was remarkable to me. Yeah, that was remarkable. And, and here's the other thing. We, we oftentimes respond to things based on our expectations. And I think mm. going into it, you know, the White House had said, look, this is going to be a, a speech that's going to unify people. And everyone said, yeah, 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 okay, whatever. And, and then the president comes out and he gives a speech, which was – for, I'd say 90% of it was was pretty unifying. And and I think people then sort of say, well, actually, yeah, that, that was, and we expected maybe something that was very different. So the, the expectations game, the framing game, that, that's all a part of the State of the Union address as well. And in previous administrations, you've seen this, where administrations have come out and tried to set expectations. In this case, I think because the president, in some situations, has been quite divisive over the last year, he was able to come out and give a speech last night. People said, actually, you know, that was quite unifying. The themes in there, the policy in there was quite unifying. So just in general, looking at the polls, CBS and CNN having 75% approval for the speech, you can't get a bigger home run than that, can you? No, you can't. And and I think in the given where we are in our political history, having just come through this really divisive shutdown, having uh, immigration be an issue that is so uh, bitterly divided on, on partisan lines, uh, for the president to be able to give a speech like that clearly was a, a, a big win for the White House, a big win for the president. Now, the, the, here's the problem, guys. You know, the news cycle moves so quickly, and we're going to be talking about something completely different, like maybe within a few minutes. Sure. So th- how do you sustain this momentum? I think that's the question. Well, I, you know, I am absolutely of the opinion that these speeches get an enormous amount of attention in the moments after and then are immediately forgotten. On the other hand, given the situation with the high-stakes negotiation, the possibility of another shutdown, uh, the, the argument about the border and walls and fences and the rest of it, I think it, it, it's kind of unique in that there's now, right now is when they're going to sit down and the will, the mood of the country is going to be a big factor in, in what happens. Yeah, I think that's right, particularly with, with respect to this immigration discussion. You know, there's this committee in Congress that got together because of the resolution of the last shutdown. They're going to be tasked with putting together some kind of immigration compromise that both sides can bless. And if you had asked me, let's say, yesterday before the speech, I would have said there's a very low probability these guys will be successful. 
But given this speech and given maybe some of this renewed energy, you know, that, that goes from being, you know, no, no chance to maybe a, 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 a small chance, I, I think. So, well, yeah, some of that momentum does carry over. I'll say this. You don't have to agree with it since you work for a lot of politicians, but a lot of politicians are just cowards. And when they see these poll numbers, won't they feel like, ah, 75% of people like this speech, 80% of people agree with this immigration point. Won't that uh, have an effect? Yeah, it will. And, and I look, I agree. Politicians are like weather vanes. I mean, they'll go wherever you, you want them to go based on public opinion. And I think that's, that is part of the challenge we have in our politics today, that there aren't enough, enough uh, leaders of principle. So, yeah, absolutely. They'll look at the speech and they'll see that things like border security are pretty popular. And, and they'll say, yeah, yeah, I'm for border security. I've always been for border security when, you know, that's a crock. They weren't for border security yesterday. Uh, so, th- yes, I think the speech will have an impact in that sense. Hey, we, we haven't touched on um, what could be a controversial part of the speech on the side of people that liked it and agree with it and vote for Trump. And it was an ad lib that people that were watching the script really caught them by surprise. So when he talked about people coming to this country and coming here legally, he ad libbed the line, more people than we've ever allowed before are going to come in. And that caught a lot of people by surprise. What, what, what was going on with, with that ad lib? His speechwriters didn't put that in there. Well, but I think it's consistent with where the president has been on the issue in, in that, first of all, he has concerns about illegal immigration, but he also has concerns about legal immigration. And this is why I think a lot of people have been concerned about his posture on immigration, because I think the posture, even for Republicans in recent memory, has been to say, look, we don't like illegal immigration, but legal immigration, the process of people coming here to contribute to the economy or whatever, that's a good thing. But, but the, the president was true to his, to his form, to what he believes on immigration, and I think that ad lib reflects actually where he is as a matter of policy. I would like to know if that was an ad lib he did there standing there, reading the room, or if he thought, I'm going to say this ahead of time, but I'm not telling the speechwriters because they're going to push back against this. Or if the general managers of his golf clubs told him that they were running short of help, <laughs> which has actually been an issue. Lonnie Chen is uh, with the Hoover Institution and Stanford University. So, Alani, the only existential threat to the United States, in my opinion, and and probably yours and anybody else who has any sense, is our enormous debt. Our absolute lack of fiscal discipline didn't even get a syllable. Um, Shocking yet unsurprising, I guess. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up, because it is it is it's a huge problem. I go back to a statement that Mike Mullen, who was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff during the Obama administration, made. He said the single biggest national security threat we face is not ISIS. It's not Russia. It's not China. It's the, it's the debt. And, and it's our inability to deal with the fact that we have crushing debt loads. And by the way, somebody owns all that debt. We, we seem to forget that sometimes. But somebody we've, owns all that debt. We've quoted Mullen's uh what he said there a, a, a hundred times on this show. It's amazing that you can have, and most State of the Union addresses don't mention the national debt. It's incredible, isn't it? Well, it's incredible for a Republican president in particular. This used to be a, a signature hallmark issue for Republicans. And, and it's, it's really, you talk about political cowardice. This is one area where political cowardice has, has, has become uh, the, the meme by which most politicians lead their lives because there is absolutely no interest in addressing the debt. And, and it starts with the president right on down, all the way through. These Republicans are not interested in addressing the debt. They are not interested in talking about how to cut deficits. Because you know what? It's not politically popular anymore, I don't think. I think a lot of people around the country say, eh, you know what? Yeah, the debt's a problem. 
but give me my benefits. I'd rather have the benefits now. Well, then that's why Bernie is sitting there smugly, because he thinks the socialism's coming, whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah. Lonnie, listen, I'm, we're not here to flatter you. One of the things I enjoy most about talking uh, to you is that you have principles, you have ideals, but you're utterly a realist because you've been around politics long enough. I, I just I find myself wondering if you, me, Bob Dylan, the poet laureate, and I don't know who else, got together to try to design a message that would reach Americans and help them understand the obscenity of us thieving from our children and grandchildren, piling up enormous debt on their heads. Is there any message that could move hearts and minds and and get a little responsibility back into American politics? I I really fear for where we are right now in politics, it'd be very, very tough. I mean, over recent history, there have been some messages that people have found compelling. I think the first is, you know, we don't want to saddle our our, our grandkids with with all this debt because it's going to come back to hurt them. You know, that was a message that traditionally would would make some headway. The message around people, you know, maybe malign actors around the world owning a piece of America. That's essentially what debt is. That used to resonate with people. The notion that we ought to live within our means, that used to resonate with people. It's a different time now. It's really a different time. And so I, I, I don't know. I don't have a lot of optimism that it's a message that would have a great compelling effect right now. But, but make no mistake, this is a huge, huge problem. Super, super quick follow-up. When is America's debt a crisis? Five years? 25 years? 75 years? Uh, well, look, I think it's a crisis now. The, the size of our debt is greater than the size of our economy. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. Our, our economy is the most powerful, most innovative, strongest economy in the world. And the size of our debt load is greater than the, the entirety of economic generation in our country. Right. So I, I think it's a crisis now. As far as when it really comes home to roost, you, you look at programs like Medicare and Social Security, which people love, but which are huge contributors to the debt going forward. As the baby boomer generation retires, and people step aside and they begin to leave the workforce. Uh, this is going to go from being an exist- a, a, a existential point in the back of our minds to an existential point at the front of our minds, I think. So this is a next 10 to 15 year problem. Well, yeah. And the, the problem with when is it a crisis? It's the famous Winston Churchill line. When did you go broke? Gradually, then suddenly. That's the way it works. <laughs> right. It just all of a sudden. Yeah. You, you wonder how you got here. I, I hate to beat this over and over again, but I want to make the point one more time. So with these poll numbers, and you've worked on campaigns before where you get up the next morning after a debate or a speech and you look at polls, if you were involved in this speech, wouldn't you look at the poll numbers before and be drinking mimosas? Just think, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. No, they were they were probably sipping adult beverages last night, I would I, I would hope. I mean, it was a it was a it, it, look, it's not easy to write these speeches because a lot of times they're written by committee. You've got all sorts of different people who are contributing their little pet project to it, and sometimes it can sound very disjointed. But I do think last night's speech had a certain thematic elegance to it, and that's hard to achieve when you're trying to put that much together. I mean, it's it's not it's an hour long speech, right? There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. So the, the White House should definitely take a victory lap today, and and knowing this White House, I'm sure they will. Lonnie Chen is on the line uh, of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University. You know, it's it's funny. Everybody we've ever met who's spent any significant time with Donald J. Trump says the same thing, that he has uh, he's utterly charming in person. You have his full attention. He wants to know about you. He's curious. He smiles. He laughs. He's engaged in the rest of it. I mean, like to the point of being 
disarming and, and Clintonian. I thought some of that came through in the speech last night because he can also be a rotten, sarcastic, mean bastard. I mean, there's no doubt, but there there were self-effacing moments. There were smiling at the Democrats. That line, don't sit down yet. You're going to love this. I mean, that was yeah. charming. He yeah. needs to let more of that out. Yeah, and I, I, for me at least, what what I thought was was really disarming was when he was self-deprecating, and I think that's oftentimes a critique of this president. He's unable to laugh at himself. You know, the, the line when when they were uh, uh, talking about the Holocaust survivor, and it was his birthday, and then the the crowd uh, burst out and started to sing Happy Birthday, and then the president ended by saying, "You know, they'll never do that for me." You know, that right but, to you know, the survivor of- himself, which was such a nice yeah. wink, and you know. Yeah. yeah, no, it, it it was quite disarming. Lonnie Chen, David and Diane Steffi, Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Director of the Domestic Policy Studies, lecturer at Stanford University. Uh, Lonnie, it's, it's always stimulating. We uh, enjoy it very much. Thanks. Hey, guys, a lot of fun. Thank you. Good to talk. Thanks. <sighs> yeah, I'd say you get up the next morning and CBS and CNN have 75% approval for your speech. You're never going to do better than that. Nope. Our text line, 415-295-KFTC. 415-295-KFTC. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.